Welcome to the Community Colleges Australia podcast. I'm Ryan Pemberton. This is the final episode in our eight-part series on board governance and executive leadership. Even though one in five Australian workers will experience mental health issues in a given year, more than half of all senior managers believe that no one in their workplace is affected. There are still a lot of unaddressed mental health concerns in the workplace, and the costs of not managing staff's mental health properly, both in terms of our well-being and productivity, are huge. For this episode on mental health support for staff, I'm joined by Nick Hedges, Director of Resolve HR, and Robert Migliori, Director of Activate. First, Robert is going to give us a roadmap for navigating this tricky terrain. How do we approach workplace conversations about mental health, and how can we best support staff members with a mental illness? Yeah, I think one of the things uh, that we have to remember here is that the current approach is simply not working. When we're talking about mental illness, the connotation is that it's very negative. And most of the approaches employers have are actually focused on investing in initiatives intended to help build employees' resilience. And there are a number of issues with this. Firstly, a focus on developing wellbeing does not address mental ill health in the workplace. We just simply cannot ignore that there are risks associated with the workplace. And where we've focused on risk is on the physicality of hazards in the workplace. But now we have Safe Work Australia telling us that we need to consider that there are risks associated with the psychological well-being of people in the workplace. So how can we identify factors that are going to precipitate mental ill health in the workplace? We need to focus more on initiatives that give people a voice and give people an opportunity to be heard when it comes to identifying factors that are going to cause mental ill health in the workplace. And workplaces are really just not ready to embrace this. We know that there are lots of factors that can contribute to to mental ill health. Some of them are genetic, it could be family related. What are the ways that someone's job can impact on their mental health? Well, in a recent survey, 1,126 workers were surveyed and uh, a mix of senior leaders, lower level management and other employees. And actually nine out of those 10 workers consider it's very important to safeguard psychological health in the workplace. And what's most interesting about this survey is that only 50% of people thought they had a healthy workplace, that their workplace was mentally healthy. Mm. So I think that says a lot about how we view workplaces. They're not uh, places that are designed to improve our mental health. If anything, they're designed to potentially place us at risk of becoming mentally ill or worsening our existing vulnerabilities to mental health issues. Is that always the case? Is it possible that a job designed correctly can actually improve someone's mental well-being? One of the things that uh, a lot of the studies point to is the importance of things like job design, allowing employees to have regular feedback, having input into how tasks are delegated to them, having greater consultation about what affects them. So not only in the spirit of identifying conflict, 
identifying issues where there may be bullying or harassment or bullying and perceived harassment, but also where there's a lot more input. So there's this collaborative uh, engagement between managers and workers that gives rise to this opportunity for me to have a little bit more control into how work happens for me. Say that a manager listening to this notices a change in behavior in a staff member. Maybe they're coming to work and they they seem distant, maybe making mistakes that they wouldn't normally make. What would you say that that manager do in that situation? Well, this is a really interesting question because often people who are turning up with a whole range of what we would class as performance issues, for example, declining work performance, declining work efficiency, fatigue, low energy levels, avoidance of work-related tasks, spending a lot of time on their phone, being confrontational or quick to anger, having conflict with colleagues or withdrawing. Now, all of those factors look a hell of a lot like someone that is in a position to be performance managed, but they are also the red flags that you would recognizes someone who has a mental health issue. So how do you distinguish between a a mental health issue and just plain old underperforming? That's the million dollar question. And most of the time, uh, managers are not distinguishing between one and the other. The behaviors of a person who may be struggling with their mental health will turn up as performance issues. And then there'll be a process undertaken by the manager to performance manage that person without inquiry, without support, without the help uh, needed for that person to have a voice, discuss those issues, and then come up with a plan for how you can help them manage through this difficult period in their lives. So say you identify that there is a mental health issue, what steps could you put into place to best support that staff member? Well, that's a great question. I think supporting that staff member would involve developing what we call a stay-at-work plan or a remain-at-work plan. And in that, we're looking at what are the issues the person is having. So if there's a declining work performance, there may be conflict with another person that is really affecting their their, uh, work performance. We'd look at addressing that. So maybe a mediation between the two parties would help quell that uh, confrontational behaviour that's causing upset it may be that the person is having personal problems outside of the workplace. They may have just been recently diagnosed with a mental illness and they're struggling to adjust to not just the diagnosis, but maybe medications and treatment and a whole range of things they're implementing to help with their mental health. So giving that person some latitude uh, is really important in helping them adjust to that. But what we always say to employers when we work with them is to put all of this in writing. It's very important that it's very clear to the person who is having the difficulty with mental health and also their immediate supervisor that there's an agreement in place because if there are too many suppositions made about someone having time off because they've got a mental health issue, someone not carrying out a task because it's too emotionally distressing for them. Those are the things that often cause 
uh, discomfort for the person and for the manager. So it's important to get it out into the open, bring in a psychologist from an organization like Activate who can help create a roadmap for their recovery whilst they're at work. The worst thing they can do is be off work because there are significant benefits of people being at work. Are there proactive steps that the management can set up to support staff's mental well-being? So there are three things. Intervene early, support recovery, and establish the inner circle. So just let's look carefully at intervening early. So this is where we look carefully at how are we going to help this person in their recovery? Does it involve us modifying their work duties, providing extra assistance to them, perhaps speaking with their psychologist or doctor to identify what it might be that causes them distress in the workplace? So we call that a workplace assessment. Let's look at the things that they're finding most difficult. And often these things are unbeknownst to the person. It may be that they really struggle with delegating tasks and we call them hoarders, uh, activity hoarders. They have to do everything themselves. And this is part to do with their personality profile. They want to hold on to as much information as possible and they struggle with delegating tasks. So you want to identify that personality type because often these are the things that cause distress for the person, what we call intrapersonal stress. So it's the way that I deal with my own stress versus the interpersonal stress of how they might deal with others. The second thing, of course, is how do we support their recovery? It's crucial that their recovery involves intervention from a third party, like a psychologist or a counsellor or perhaps their doctor. It may involve medication, but it may involve less time at the workplace and grading up to their pre-injury capacity. And of course, the last thing is the inner circle. Let's not forget about promoting recovery at work is about making sure those people who are in the workplace are there supporting them. They're not going against them. They're not trying to performance manage them as they're trying to recover. Instead, they're providing this safe landing place for the person. So they're the three things, intervene early, support recovery, and have a robust inner circle. This is obviously a very big issue, not just in terms of the impact that it has on the individual, but also the effect it has on the organization, right? What is the cost of mental health on the workplace? In a PwC study uh, in 2016, it was identified that mental health costs the Australian economy about $2.1 billion. It was quite an extraordinary number. And the biggest part of that number, surprisingly, was $6 billion of that $10 billion was associated with what they termed as presenteeism. So this pretend word, if you like, called presenteeism, which relates to how productive or how present this person is in the workplace. So if they're being occupied by a range of mental health issues, then they're not going to be as productive. They're certainly not as engaged. And presenteeism was the biggest risk to our economy as far as the health of people in workplaces. What risks does an organization face if they do not manage the mental health of their employees effectively? 
Well, the first risk is now that it's incumbent upon every employer to have psychological or psychosocial risks identified as part of their work health and safety plan, it's now incumbent from January 2019 for all employees to consider the psychological health and safety of their employees. So at worst, employers can be fined and prosecuted for not identifying the psychosocial and psychological risks that their employees face in workplaces. So that's the first thing. The second thing, of course, is a failure to do this will mean an increase in workers' compensation claims of a psychological nature, and we've seen a huge increase in psychological compensation claims in New South Wales. So not only have we seen an increase, we know that it takes a worker with a psychological injury 10 times longer to come back to work than that person who had a physical injury. A typical physical injury might cost the scheme, the workers' compensation scheme in New South Wales, somewhere between $1,500 and $4,000, but the average psychological claim cost $30,000. So there's a huge difference in the cost of managing a psychological injury in the workplace versus the cost of managing a physical injury in the workplace. So the stakes of, of managing recovery is are really high. That's right. And without intervening early and supporting the person in their recovery and having a really good nucleus of people who are supporting that person in their recovery, the longer they spend off work, the less likely it is that they will resume work. So it's vital that we keep people at work following a mental health issue or a, the diagnosis of a mental illness, and we support them in the workplace because being absent from work makes it very hard for people with mental health issues to resume work. So what should someone listening to this do if they're managing an issue with mental health in the workplace and they're not quite sure what to do, where can they go for support? Well, I think the best place to start is to get help and support from the association. The Community Colleges Association will have a range of resources available to you to help you navigate through this difficult period. We support the Community Colleges Association, that, that's Activate. We can provide advice to you and to your members when it comes to having those difficult conversations. Because often the biggest issue with mental health in the workplace is approaching a person who has a perceived or real mental health issue. So how do you have that conversation with them? How do you promote recovery and early intervention? And how do you put a program together to make them feel safe? and not stigmatised. So there's a huge stigma associated with mental health in the workplace. And what we want to do is try and reduce that stigma and promote people coming out with their mental health issues. So when they're out in the open, we can help them and we can address those concerns for them. So if you are seeing someone who is withdrawing from their duties, they're not as socially connected as they used to be, you suspect there may be a problem, 
or of course, that their problem is turning up as a performance issue that's inconsistent with how they've been in the past, then ask that question. How can I help? Are you okay? Do you need support? These simple questions will help that person feel safe and feel that there's a sense of trust and not that sense of stigma that unfortunately really afflicts workplaces in Australia. Robert Miliori, Director of Activate. Now we'll hear from Nick Hedges, Director of Resolve HR, about supporting staff mental health from a HR perspective. Nick, does a worker have to disclose their mental illness? Interestingly enough, no. You don't have any obligation if you do have a mental illness to disclose it to your employer. So there's no actual legal obligation for a worker to disclose information about their disability or their illness. And this might actually be frustrating for the boss or the manager. And disclosure then is often a difficult choice for a worker to make. Do they disclose or not disclose? Because potentially are there going to be ramifications of being treated differently, discriminated against, or the person not actually knowing how to handle it? So disclosure really is a personal decision and it depends on the circumstances, the context, how the illness is being managed and how comfortable that worker feels about discussing that issue with that manager. So Nick, what are some of the risk factors for mental health becoming an issue in the workplace? Look, from an HR perspective, uh, work overload, work pressure, unnecessary workloads and pressures is going to exacerbate the problem. You know, when we subject people to high levels of pressure, such as tight deadlines and long hours of work, that potentially could trigger. Lack of control, where people aren't involved in the decision-making process that affects how their work is being performed and managed, that might trigger something too. Where people don't have good job clarity and there's ambiguity around what role that they're performing. If people are experiencing some job insecurity, so are they being exposed to inappropriate workplace behaviour such as bullying, harassment and discrimination? That can obviously trigger as well. Poor communication styles and poor communication cultures um, within organisations can trigger these sorts of things, as well as not having the right resources around. So for people to be able to carry out their, their work and their duties. So I think those are some of the triggers that can really exacerbate and bring on these types of issues. So what are some strategies that our listeners can take away from this conversation and maybe start to implement themselves? Yeah, I think there's a few. I think as we were just sort of saying before, I think that we need to be considering should we be making some reasonable adjustments to that to that person's work, the way in which they're working, the, the, the framework in which they work, asking them if there's any assistance or workplace adjustment that, that could assist them in performing their job. So the other thing is should we be offering them some confidential support potentially from an employee assistance program if that's available If we don't have that, can we offer to pay for a couple of sessions with a medical professional, whether it be a psychologist, a counsellor, or a psychiatrist, or a GP, you know, those sorts of things. We're often not qualified to be able to deal with this, but, but what is our role? Our role is to help support them as best as we can in an encouraging way. I think the other thing is, is probably looking at the way that we're actually conducting work or the way that they're conducting work with us. So encouraging them to take breaks, looking at the framework with which they're actually working, the job design. So do we need to reestablish work rules, work boundaries, you know, not answering emails, not answering phone calls after a certain time and not being available for, for particular meetings if they're not absolutely required, if it's a nice to have as opposed to a need to have, those sorts of things. So I think there's a couple of other strategies to holistically look at the way that the job is being performed to help support that person who might be suffering from some mental health issues. 
You've been listening to season three of the Community Colleges Australia Governance and Leadership podcast series, produced by Audiocraft, with funding support from the New South Wales government. That's it for this season of the CCA Governance podcast series. You can find all of our episodes at cca.edu.au.